Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I am very pleased indeed to welcome back to the programme the Reverend Phil Saker who is a Christian minister, he is ordained in the Church of England, spends a couple of days a week in a parish on the Essex coast in the UK. The rest of the time he works on his online ministries, Understand the Bible, which is understandthebible.uk and uh, on YouTube, Sacred Musings, which last time we spoke about and it was called Phil Saker making sense of the world from a Christian perspective. It's not called that anymore. It's called Sacred Music, uh, mm-hmm. not Sacred Music, Sacred Musings. And I shall ask him <laughs> why about that in just a moment. Phil, good to be speaking to you again. Thanks for coming on. And uh, thanks for having me back. Yes, I'm, I'm just glad you enjoyed our conversation last time and, uh, you know, um, wanted to continue. <laughs> Yeah, very much so, because there was so much else to talk about. We ran out of time. We did say at the time maybe mm. we would continue that. So we're going to do that now. So if I can actually say this without making another mistake about it, <laughs> sacred musings, not sacred music, yes. sacred musings. Why did you change the name? Because I thought, I mean, you're still making sense of the world from a Christian perspective, aren't you? Yes. Oh, yes. Well, it, it was just because I, I don't really like self-titled things you know with your own name it just sounds a bit like i'm bigging myself up as it were i did a little twitter poll and i said which name do you prefer and that name came out on top so there we go i've just got a new name so it's still exactly the same content Mm. Um, i just tend to do a a podcast style format because there's so much to talk about yeah and of course i suppose you've still left your name in there in a way haven't you because it's a bit of a play on your own name isn't it saker sacred yes yes that's right yes (laughs) it is uh yeah (laughs) okay well uh, today we are going to be picking up as i say on the conversation that we had a few weeks back uh we're going to be talking about covid19 and the churches i mean the church by and large response to the so-called pandemic um but um i'll just say i do recommend people to go and hear the first part of that to get Mm. context for this so that is tmr number 267 covid and the churches part one so um we spoke about a lot of things last time a lot about government the way it's handled so-called pandemic lockdowns other measures and our misgivings about such things and the way Mm. in which government really has behaved in an abusive way towards citizens Mm. um the relationship of the church to government our disappointment not not all churches i repeat reluctance to critique government action Mm. reluctant to engage theologically with what has been going on. So we didn't spend much time on this dreadful issue of vaccine passports, vaccine certification, etc., which is a huge concern to so many of us. Mm. Let's jump in the deep end here. One of the things that the government is suggesting as part of its so-called Plan B strategy, should the NHS become overwhelmed over the winter months and all that, mm. ostensibly, um, is the introduction of these vaccine passports vaccine certificates for particular venues so far um now i and many people obviously believe this so-called plan b strategy to be really plan a um another lie door in the face technique you know you say oh well this we're going to introduce this oh no we're not going to and then leave it on the shelf and say well we might do you know <laughs> um so it doesn't seem so bad later on yeah. um so all these arguments back and forth i think are theater really but um let's just pause for a moment on the idea of them themselves um what about the church I hear that some do seem to think that requiring them to attend church would be a good idea. I find that abhorrent. Mm. What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, I actually did a video a few months ago where I talk about vaccine passports. Actually, that was in the context of the Mark of the Beast, which um, we may come on to uh, later. Mm. But um, yeah, I was um, talking about vaccine passports and uh, saying that I think it would be blasphemous mm. effectively to introduce vaccine passports. Yeah, I think it would be, it would be wrong. Um, I mean, the noises from the government have been very up and down on this issue. So I think there was at one point where they mention churches and they haven't said that since i think they just talk about large gatherings but um it wouldn't surprise me at all mm. and the um the church of england i think um the official response of the church of england was well we don't really like the idea of vaccine passports but it is a sort of public health emergency so whatever um, and that's basically what they said. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can I just so, go back to this, uh, you know, sure. noises from the government? Uh, now, this was some mm. time ago. Where are we? This uh, this is back in July. Mm. The then faith minister, Stephen Greenall, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but that'll do. Mm. He tweeted, and I have a screenshot of this in case it gets deleted. Always a good idea these days. He tweeted, mm. as faith minister, I would like to make clear to everyone that at gov. UK, is not, and that's in capital letters, is not going to make being double jabbed a condition of entry to a place of worship. Mm. At Talk Radio has got this wrong. Okay, mm. so we need to remember that and hope, almost against hope, that this isn't as hollow as some of the other statements that have been issuing from government circles mm. in recent times. Inter um, it's an interesting, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, mm. you say that for individual churches, let's say, or individual denominations mm. to go along with this and require people to show passports would be blasphemous. Mm. Is that because you're saying that such a church would effectively be saying that the state is Lord rather than Christ? That's right. Um, yes, I think that is what I'm saying. It's effectively allowing the state to determine who can be a member of the church or not. I believe it's not up to the state to determine that. It's up to Christ. This is why I think the vaccine passports for the church are so awful. Um, I think something which is very, very important, a theological principle, which is highly important for the church, is that of equality as Christians. You know, the idea that as Christian believers, we are all one. Mm. There is a verse in the Bible, Galatians 3.28, which says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That's, I think, a fundamental principle for the church. You know, this idea of unity, of oneness, is the bedrock of what the church is. And so to allow the state to come in and say, no, only vaccinated people can come into your assemblies, hmm. that is giving the state a power to determine who should be in the, in the church or not, and to take a role which they should not have. Hmm. Well, let's suppose that it's not the state but that it's individual mm. an individual church let's say that makes a decision like that mm. that would still divide the church it would still exclude people who might otherwise get to hear the gospel so it, it seems to be that it runs counter to the mm. great commission therefore goes against the gospel mm. it seems to elevate safety above the gospel um but that mm. would be coming from in this scenario anyway that wouldn't be coming from the state i suppose there'd still be pressure from the state perhaps so mm. would that still be blasphemous or would that just be a wrong decision I think it would still be blasphemous, but it would be of a worse kind, which is the church putting itself in that situation mm. rather than the state, mm. which is talk about shooting herself in the foot. But um, that's it. Something even worse than that. Can't even think of the expression at the moment. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yes, I mean, that would effectively be a church deciding to become not a church 
I guess that sort of gets into a question of what a church is, how you define a church and so on. But yeah, I would effectively say that the church had neglected its duty and abandoned Christ at that point for the reasons that you mention about the elevation of safety you know Mm. there's a verse in james which talks about showing favoritism why we shouldn't show favoritism it says if a man in fine clothes comes in you know you mustn't say to him come and sit here and to the poor person coming in you know say oh well there's a dirty spot on the floor for you Mm. um it says you mustn't do that must not show favoritism it's that important and again you know it's just this idea that if a church started for themselves deciding to only welcome vaccinated people well that'd be a disaster um, not to mention, of course, you know, all of the other reasons like, um, I think it's important to say, by the way, that I'm not saying this in the absence of thinking about the wider concerns about the vaccine, as we were reminded the other day by Boris Johnson, that it doesn't stop you getting COVID or passing it on. <laughs> uh, and every yeah. country which has introduced vaccine passports has not seen a drop in cases. It's not like, for example, COVID was a very terrible disease, like smallpox. And that there was a vaccine which was 100% effective and a church decided that on the grounds of that many of the members were el- were vulnerable that, you know, to ask vaccinated people to come in because it was like, a, I don't know, kind of Ebola outbreak or something like that. Yes, it's not yes. like that. You know, COVID is a very different kind of disease. You know, so the, the vaccine passport is not even logical. Mm. No, because it gives the impression that people who come in and have a passport are going to be free of this disease. Yeah. But there's no guarantee of that at all, is it? Let me just um, quote here. So this is Boris. It's very famous already, isn't it? But Boris on mm. Sky News, he really undercut the health argument for this. Um, it's very revealing, really. Mm. Let's quote mm. it. The double vaccination provides a lot of protection against serious illness mm. and death. But it doesn't protect you against catching the disease. And it doesn't protect you against passing yeah. it on. So now is the time to get your booster, all right? But if you have the booster, I'm thinking, okay, that's another shot of the same Mm. stuff. So that's still not going (laughs) to, presumably, why should I think that's going to stop you catching it and passing it on? Uh, So, yeah, I I don't see there's any logical basis to that anyway. So why would the church even be wanting to introduce such a thing? Yeah, and and that's exactly the thing. I mean, I think the logic of the vaccine passport and the theological principle go together. Another thing that occurred to me about this is that, I mean, even if you argue that there's some reduction in the probability of being infected thanks to vaccination and therefore, you know, having a COVID passport is evidence of that, Mm. uh, that is putting aside the issue of waning vaccine efficacy, etc. Nevertheless, I I think there's an issue here of moral hazard Mm. in that you might think, you know, I'm okay now, I've been vaccinated, I've got my passport, so I'll just no longer mm. be at all cautious, you know, maybe I don't feel good, but oh, it must be a cold, you know, I'm vaxxed, it must be a cold. Mm. So I'll go along anyway, you know, that that sort of thing. I think there is a moral hazard issue here. Well, that, that's uh, an interesting point, which people um, made that point about masks as well, for example, that when the government introduced masks, it gives people a false sense of security. Mm. And what it actually does is makes people less likely to um, be sensible in other ways, yes. whatever you yes. think of the social distancing or anti-social distancing. Yes. Um, but yes, I mean, people think I'm wearing a mask, I'm safe. Exactly. Which, yes. of course, as we yeah. know, is not the case. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's all interconnected, our behaviour. So it's, yeah. That's a definitely a good, a good perspective. Mm-hmm. And as I intimated just before, I am opposed to these passports in principle because mm. I think they're dangerous in many ways, most obviously mm. as a really serious threat to freedom uh, because, mm. you know, they are poised to allow governments and corporations to gain mm. 
increasing, well, almost limitless control over our lives. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're obviously discriminatory. That is completely obvious. And as we've discussed, they're probably ineffectual as a public health measure anyway. They're extremely dangerous. And I've got a quote here from Robert Dingwall, who uh, was formerly part of the JCVI. Um, he's professor of sociology, Nottingham Trent University. He was on stage, wasn't he? Um, was he? Is he on stage he on as stage? well? Okay, he was certainly... I, I have a feeling he was yeah. on stage. Okay. There's a little quote from him. He's carried out extensive research on the use of vaccine passports. And he said, I quote, vaccine passports are a tech industry idea in search of a problem mm. in terms of sa public safety they have little to offer and i think he's really hit the nail on the head there mm. they are a tech industry idea in search of a problem and uh, you know the tech industry very clearly is threatening our privacy and our rights in many ways and uh, you know for the church to be part of that and not critique this and mm. not see what's going on i think would be mm. it, it would be a great tragedy which is, of course i'm not saying nobody in the church is because there are a lot of people who are concerned mm. uh, but let's very much hope and pray things don't go for any church yeah. in that direction and it's um, sort of linked in with the Chinese-style social credit system as well, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And um, I think that's the worry, that once they've got your vaccine passport, what more could they do mm, mm. Um, with the data and mm. with that? You know, could they stop you going into things if you've been misbehaving in other ways? Yes. Could they keep tabs on your ideas and your movements? Mm, and mm, it mm. would completely, we would be anything but a free country yes. under that system. Yes, absolutely. And we will talk about the dimension of conspiracy bring up that question later but i will just add that we know there's this uh, id 2020 agenda working with the un and governments to promote digital id mm. we know that there's an agenda 2030 of the un which does envisage universal id for all people we know that the banks and governments are very keen on the idea of digital currency for many many reasons mm. we know that the idea of programmable money the sort of tokenization of digital money is being floated mm. uh, which of course you know you can spend according to various policies then can't you yeah. as you say the social credit system mm. and all this can creep through these sort of digital facilities in terms of convenience yeah. behavioral nudges we've had so many <laughs> behavioral nudges <laughs> oh, <goodness>. recently <laughs> yeah. so the whole thing is clearly very very concerning and uh, i think the church should have no part of it yeah absolutely um do you know do you know something strange um i was watching a part of an interview the other night with the man who at college at theological college taught me um cultural exegesis mm. which is basically some of the things that you want to do on this podcast really about you know trying to analyze culture from a christian perspective and mm. things which i try and do on my on my own yes. um, channel mm. and what i find interesting he started out the interview by saying it came from wanting to see the whole of life under the lordship of christ mm. which i think is a good goal mm. obviously uh, that's what christianity is about really but um, I just thought, why is it that so many churches have said nothing about the lockdowns and about what's going on? Mm. Is that not under the Lordship of Christ? Yeah. I just find it absolutely baffling yeah. how they can be so silent on something which seems to me to be so important. Mm. You know, there's just a really, really important debate to be had here. And, you know, these ideas must be talked about. Mm. But, uh, Do you think that, yeah. uh, you know, turning back to, you mentioned Francis Schaeffer in mm. some of your videos, turning back to his analysis, of course, this is decades ago, but I'm wondering mm. to what extent, you know, he's, he's very yeah, prophetic yeah. in what he said. Yeah. Do you think the church has sort of given into that two-tier kind of mentality where, you know, you have the thing, the real things of the world down here, mm -hmm. and then you have the upper story, which is all the spiritual things. And so the church is quite happy, you know, to be very distinct and very definite about things that are to do with, with heaven and the spiritual. Mm. But when it comes to the things down here, well, you know, 
that's a different matter. Um, in other words, the lordship of Christ is divided. Um, I, Christ I, is to do with the upper and not the lower realm. Well, not so much. It's not so unified mm. as it should be. I think I think it's a bit more complicated than that mm. because a lot of churches that I, the particular sort of, um, if you like, tribe of churches that I'm I'm involved with historically. Um, what you might call conservative evangelical. Yeah. Um, I won't go into the background of all of that, but mm. anyway, let's leave it at that for the moment. Mm. Mm. But um, they have been quite good at standing up for certain things like marriage. Mm. So when um, same-sex marriage came through a few years ago, they stood up against that and they were quite happy to be public about standing in opposition to that. And, and there have been like abortion as well. Um, there are groups who are standing up against abortion. But when it comes to lockdowns and some of these things that are happening, they have really been silent. Mm. So I don't think it's as simple as saying only some things are under the Lordship of Christ. I wonder if it's more to do with a fear of being, inverted commas, political. Um, I think part of the problem is that there's no one Bible verse that you could go to and say, ah, the lockdowns are wrong. Um, A lot of it, I think, relies upon the trust in the institutions, you know, trust in scientists, Mm. uh, trust in the government. I'm struck by that. When I talk to people who are pro, sort of, or more pro-lockdown, by and large, I think it's as if we have two different views of the world, Mm. you know, that I've kind of read up about PCR tests and about the problems with testing, the problems with all of these problems. You know, I've kind of done my own research and I believe that the institutions are effectively lying to us. There's no other way to say it. I think they know some of what they say is wrong and they're not budging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's partly because the church is just doesn't want to get political and doesn't want to question mm-hmm. the government, doesn't want to question the experts. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the confidence, if you like, to kind of come out and say, well, we think this is wrong, you know, going against what the consensus is. Um, maybe it's because they don't want to lose their position in society. Um, you know, they don't want to be seen to be like that word that we we talked about last time, conspiracy theorists. Mm. Um, so I don't think it is just about thinking only some parts of life are under the lordship of Christ. But I think there's this whole other area of being unwilling to explore where the truth is in in a secular sense, if you like questioning could the government or could the the experts could the scientists be not telling you the complete truth could they be distorting it could there be political motivations going on there just seems to be a a kind of almost childlike naivety about all of that and i'm not not sure why that should be the case i wonder whether that has something to do with the concept of civil religion Mm. a sense that our country is blessed by God. And, mm. you know, we pray for the queen and, uh, you know, in our services and pray for our leaders. And, mm. and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for our leaders, uh, but that sense that somehow they are working for our good. So it sort of brings it all into this orb of civil religion. Mm. Um, so maybe that is part of the explanation. We, we don't really want to bring into question those who we deep down believe are working for our good and have been put there by God. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, as I've been chatting to people and, and trying to discuss things with people, one thing I have been struck by, um, for us, those of us who are in the UK and much of the Western world, we are not used to being in this situation. I think we are, mm. you know, historically, it's been instilled in us, this trust that the authorities are working for our good. Mm. I mean, by and large, the UK has been a Christian country for a long time. Mm. Um, I've just been reading the history of uh, Thomas Cranmer, the biography of Thomas Cranmer by our dear maid McCulloch about how Henry VIII was devout in ways that I think modern people find it hard to understand. 
uh, you know, the idea that he would, the, the king's great matter, the divorce, you know, which started that kind of reformation in England, mm. it was because Henry wanted that divine approval. These days, I thought well, no one would care about that. That would be the last of their worries. But that's how it's been in this country for a long time. But now that we are a very godless bunch, mm. and um, I think a lot of the church is still operating like we're in Christendom. Mm, you mm. know, like um, the government is still basically Christian. They're basically on our side. Yes, yes, exactly. And there's a level of trust that we can have in them. Mm. As, as if we're kind of still in the 1950s or before, you know, we're still in a sort of Christian era, which we're not. Can I ask you about this dreadful no jab, no job policy? Mm. Of course, we have this with care home workers. We have very very probably coming down the line with all health workers. Mm. You say that you've been contacted by people who've been required to take a COVID-19 vaccination for church positions mm. who are going to lose their job. Um, can you tell us about that? Obviously not in any sure. specific details. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I had an email two or three months ago from someone who was involved in a ministry position in a church in Canada. And he contacted me in saying that in his diocese, there had been a policy saying that everyone who was involved, either as a staff or even as a volunteer, right. so this was even for volunteers mm. who, who helped on the coffee rotor or something, had to be vaccinated in order to participate in the church. And he was saying that he needed to move his family. He had a, a wife and children, I think. Uh, he needed to move his family across the country because he, he wouldn't take the vaccine. Um, he's the only person who's actually got in touch with me to say specifically that that was happening. I have heard of that kind of thing happening in other places. Um, I think the Anglican Church in Canada has gone down a rabbit hole for some time, so it, it, it doesn't surprise me that that's happening there, in perhaps in a way that it isn't happening in this country at the moment. Um, but it's deeply worrying about what is uh, what is happening. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I mean, once these things are, once these kinds of requirements are introduced, you know, where does it end? Mm. Care home workers, NHS staff, you know, what then? Teachers, police, yeah. everyone in retail, everyone if you want to work, mm. if you want to eat. Um, yeah. We've got here, and I'm going to mention this because um, I was upset by it. Um, this is David Meller recently writing in the Daily Mail, uh, where he is openly calling for people to be banned from going to work. I mean, here we go. I acknowledge, having been a minister for 11 years, that the options are not easy. It's tempting to suggest that anti-vaxxers should be denied treatment or treated only at their own expense. It's been seriously suggested on, in Australia, but I doubt it would work there, and it certainly won't work here. But a vaccine passport might. Why shouldn't we ban those who refuse the vaccine from places of entertainment or, as Italy has done, from going to work? forcing the anti-vaxxers to stay at home, it can be argued, is necessary for public protection. As I say, mm. disturbed by that. I think it was a really bad piece, actually. It was full of non-sequiturs and all sorts of propagandistic yeah, attempts yeah. there to tar people with the same brush and all that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, where would that end? And uh, mm. this starts to creep in, that it creeps in quite conceivably everywhere and does end up with this two-tier society that people so much fear. Yeah, it, it's, I mean... Um, where do you even begin with, with something like this? Mm. I mean, for one, it's just so illogical. And this is what gets me about it. I think, I think in my video, I, I did one about the no jab, no job in the church for this um, Canadian chap. And um, well, it's just nonsense. You know, the idea that, as we've already discussed with vaccine passports, that to have the jab stops you from giving COVID to someone else, is it doesn't happen. And you think, well, will the NHS stop treating obese people or smokers? 
the utter illogic of it it's yes makes me think that there surely must be something more sinister going on yeah, exactly because there's no logic yes. there's i've given up trying to understand what's happening rationally because you can't mm. it's like people have been mm. gripped by this terror of covid yes which makes them act and think in very irrational ways mm. and it's deeply worrying the the irrationality of it is is what worries me Yes, I know what you mean about giving up thinking about it in rational ways. But I think what you really mean is that the normal ways of thinking about these things, you know, you go through A, B, C, D, and none of those make sense. And one is always trying to resist the notion that perhaps there is a grander conspiracy or grander conspiracies going on. Because, well, isn't that kind of Occam's razor? Don't you look for the simpler explanations? But, you know, once you've exhausted all those, and it does seem to be the case that they are quickly being exhausted, then it seems quite rational then to start speculating for deeper agendas here. Um, mm. And more and more, I'm thinking that is the case, that there are a lot of powerful forces that are going to benefit from this kind of thing. And no doubt we'll talk about that in a bit. Mm. Um, mm. I just want to go back to the vaccines themselves. I mean, I'm going to say, as one always has to, and it's almost pointless these days to say because people you know people respond with oh you would say that wouldn't you but i'm not anti-vax yeah yeah <laughs> you know, um, i have been vaccinated for a number of things in my life and no doubt i will again but mm. you know from the beginning i was concerned that we don't really know much about these uh, novel treatments mm. you know they're still i understand not out of their phase three trials and as you've yeah, yeah. mentioned there's the possibility of concerns you know real concerns raising their ugly heads um maybe we'll talk about that in a second mm. um but i've got to the point now where i'm resistant at the moment to being covid19 vaccinated not just because of the concerns health-wise but also because i'm aware that there are so many agendas behind what's going on political agendas financial agendas mm. the, the whole thing seems to be tainted i feel that it goes against my conscience since I don't even believe that they are particularly effective, and because in my own case, I would rather, you know, go the early treatment route. I know a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't mm. pit one against the other. But, you know, this is a personal decision. That's what I would rather do. I don't, I don't sort of believe in the whole package. Yeah. It therefore goes against my conscience more and more to be COVID-19 vaccinated. Mm. Um, now, if it goes against my conscience... That's a very powerful thing, isn't it? Um, mm. Your conscience is very much bound up with the work of God, isn't it? So that's a very difficult one. Yeah, yeah. Very difficult. Yeah, one of the lessons I think that I, I've learned <laughs> over the last few years in the Christian life is just that, to follow your, your instinct, follow your conscience, because I think that's a very important thing, as you say. Mm. Um, and it's not uninformed, is it? You know, one has mm. reasons yes, that it's exactly. lead to this position of conscience, but it's there and it's very powerful once you arrive at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I've, I've had a, a bit of a change in the way that I think about the vaccines, because I think when we last spoke back in August, I guess my thinking was, you know, I don't like the coercion mm. of the vaccines. I'm very much against the coercion that I could see all the agendas like people have been talking about the vaccine as if it's a messiah. Mm. And I think, well, uh, no vaccine's ever been a messiah. It might help eradicate the disease, but um, it's certainly not the only thing which is going to help and i kind of was thinking well you know as well why vaccinate younger people just give it to the vulnerable mm. um you know and it always worried me about vaccinating younger people especially children i think that should never have been yes, allowed yes. it's creeping now isn't it towards five-year-olds in the states 
Yeah, I, I saw that. Yes, yeah. they've, they've approved it for the younger mm, ones. Mm. But I think what I find as I've been looking at the data and as more data has emerged, I was reading something the other day about how the vaccines have killed more people in Australia than COVID. Um, if you look at the number of infections, the, according to the ONS, the number of infections per 100,000 in the vaccinated is greater than the unvaccinated. Now, a lot of people have said, oh, well, that's just, you know, a factor of the denominators. You know, they're not using accurate numbers, which may be the case. I don't know. But I think, you know, you just got to wonder, is it all making things worse? And this is why we should have the um, precautionary principle. My thinking of the precautionary principle would have been, well, this is a new vaccine. You know, let's just give it to the vulnerable, see what happens. And then, you know, over time, we can roll it out perhaps more widely. But this will get us through. But it seems like that's become completely abandoned. And all of this coercion for younger people, for children to get the vaccine, it is obscene. It's wicked, I think, is the only word to describe it. Mm. Yes, it's a strange fanaticism. And the only thing I would say about the, mm. the Australian example is that they've been heavily locked down, haven't they? So I suppose they could say, well, if it hadn't been for the lockdown, then, you know, it would have been carnage with the COVID-19. Um, so, That's you know, true, yeah. it's a difficult one. That's their answer. Yeah, yeah um, it's a very difficult one. But, you know, I am concerned about a number of things. You know, things keep popping up, don't they? I mean, we've had uh, famously mm. Gert van den Bosch, who is a highly qualified vaccinologist. His career has been in vaccines. And uh, for months, he's been talking about concerns that the vaccines may actually fuel the production of new variants. And he's got a very complicated mm. argument for that, which I, I won't go into, and I'm struggling to understand it in detail. But it, just basically the idea that these, mm. these vaccines are not sterilizing. One has to be very careful about that term because it's going to be misunderstood as, me, as meaning, you know, you want to make people not be able to have children. It's nothing to do with that. Yeah. The idea that the, that the vaccine doesn't stop everybody from catching this disease you know it can make it a less severe disease mm. but because it's not sterilizing in that sense and you're vaccinating people in the middle of a pandemic that that can actually cause he argues can actually cause new variants to be produced well if he's right there that's very worrying we also have very recently alex berenson um, he notes that in the UK health security agency covid-19 vaccine surveillance report number 42 there's a little Almost a statement in passing, which might suggest, well, let me just read it here. This is number 42, page 2023. Recent observations from UK Health Security Agency, UK HSE surveillance data that N antibody levels appear to be lower in individuals who acquire infection following two doses of vaccination. Mm. Well, that's a very strange little sentence there. So you have your two doses of vaccination and it appears that you have fewer of these antibody levels. Mm. So if, you know, along comes another variant, well, is that going to be so good for you after all? Yeah. Will Jones, writing in The Daily Skeptic, says a little bit more about this. I'll quote this. The report does not elaborate on this, but on the face of it, it is a startling admission. Mm. It is basically saying that a certain kind of antibody, which is not produced by the vaccines, but is usually produced by infection and hence is used by P-H-E-U-K-H-S-A to identify those with antibodies from infection is not produced so well by those who are infected post-vaccination. And he goes on to say this is well known and it's called original antigenic sin, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting for a theological discussion between two of us. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah. you know, these things are popping up and, you know, it doesn't give one any great confidence that uh, the fanaticism that we see that everybody must be vaccinated is really well-founded mm -hmm. at all, does it? Yeah, it, this is the exact problem, isn't it? 
the number of people who said to me, I got COVID, I've been double vaxxed, and thank goodness I was double vaxxed. And you think, hold on a second, you've been vaccinated and you still got it. Even if it didn't bring you into hospital, it may well not have done that before. You never know. Exactly. And in fact, I think the problem with the original antigenic sin, as far as I understand it, someone sent around an interesting article about this the other day, is that it actually stops your body responding with the correct antibodies however many times afterwards. It's because, you know, I think your body remembers the first time that you were infected and then it produces antibodies for that infection. And, not, and this has been a phenomenon that's been known for some time, even if we don't fully understand it. So um, the vaccine could actually be causing healthy people to cripple their immune system when it comes to COVID. And we're not saying that's the case, are we? This is the point. We're just saying, yeah. good heavens, some of these things actually might be the case. These are novel treatments, and they're not really being treated with the caution, as you say, the precautionary principle. They're not being treated with kid gloves, so they really should be. Instead, it's being said, this is the saviour, this is 100%, they're safe and effective, mm. which is a propagandistic phrase, isn't it? Safe and effective, safe and effective. And anybody who speaks otherwise is to be shut down, yeah. is to be deplatformed, etc. This is a very dangerous situation. Oh, it's hugely dangerous. It's Again, it goes back to the irrationality of it all, that I think prior to 2020, uh, I think if a new vaccine was developed for a novel disease, especially which used new technology, I think we'd want to, to be cautious with it, just to give it to people who were most mm. were most vulnerable, you know, see how it went with them and, and investigate thoroughly before we rolled it out to the wider population and especially children, mm. um, you know, to young, people who are young and healthy. Yeah. Um, but as it happens, it's just like this madness has taken over where everyone has to be vaccinated mm. or take your jobs away or take your freedoms away. Yeah. And, and you think, well, if it comes out in the next, who knows, I mean, months, years, if it becomes more generally known that the vaccines have been causing harm or there have been these issues, then the people who backed it are going to look very, very stupid. <laughs> And I hope that people will realise that we are being not led by people who have their best interests at heart. Mm, um, yeah. I think that's what's happening. But um, yeah. Yes, yes. And another thing I think that's happening is this sense of we can't be wrong. You know, we've started on a certain policy and it almost doesn't really matter what happens. You know, we can't be shown to have been wrong. We're going to double down, double down. Yeah. That seems to be going on, which of course is the way of disaster. Oh, yeah. Um, I just, one thing I wanted to say before it goes out of my mind is mm. that when I was talking about my conscience, I'm not talking about what anybody else should do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. members of my family have been COVID-19 vaccinated, you know, mm. and I'm not saying anything about that. This is a matter of individual conscience. I'm just saying things have changed in my own mind such that I am personally not happy. This has got nothing to do with anybody else's decisions because matters of conscience are individual. Mm. Um, I thought I'd make that quite clear there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about this fanaticism, mm. the concept that this is operating to an extent in a cult-like way is becoming more clear to me. Yeah. Um, we have a phrase here coined, I believe, by C.J. Hopkins, the dramatist writer living in Germany. He talks about it being a Covidian cult. Yeah. I don't like everything he writes. I find him a bit too pessimistic <laughs> for my liking. Yeah. But nevertheless, you know, I do think he's a very important, almost prophetic voice. Um, mm. But there are things that I, you know, dwelling upon this, are these elements of a cult? You know, thinking of religious language, you've got here uh, Satan, of course. Well, doesn't the virus 
play that part to a certain extent. The hidden foe, the frightening one, crouching mm. at the door, you know, mm. um, deadly, ever-changing. You don't know where he is. Mm. Uh, the priests, are they the scientists and the institutions? Mm. Are the temples like, well, the TV, the BBC News, where you go to be taught the cultic truths? Mm. Um, the rituals, of course, we've, yeah. it's obvious with mask wearing, hand washing, distancing. I'm not saying any of those mm. things are bad in themselves or dubious about some of them but nevertheless the, the mm. way they're being treated you know is it ritualistic yeah, yeah. we have the doctrinal superstitious purity yes superstitious right so you have doctrinal purity again i'm not against the idea of doctrinal purity if your doctrine is true mm. <laughs> but they're just the concept of doctrinal purity you know no debate yeah, yeah. it's heresy to disagree yeah you censor opposing views the, the inquisition um, you have that <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You have the othering of people who are outside mm. the cult. I mean, for example, you have the, uh, in Scientology, you have the suppressive person. Oh, you don't want to speak to the suppressive person because they, they'll damage you sort of thing. Yeah. Well, the so-called anti-vaxxers, are they not the suppressive persons? Mm. Of course, when I say that, I don't mean anti-vaxxer in the strict sense, because that's being used propagandistically to mean yeah, yeah. anyone who questions the narrative. Or, or a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, well, these yeah. phrases, they, they stand for the, as it were, the suppressive person. Mm. The talisman, you know, the magical objects, yeah. we said, the masks protect you against evil yeah. now one thing i even wondered here is you know whether these covid19 vaccines could be seen in this distorted sense as functioning like a sacrament you know a bit like um mm. communion a taking of the elements you know by which you become part of the body of the vaccinated i don't know yeah that's interesting just some thoughts yeah it's for other people you know it's, it's out of concern for other people that you take it it's your your duty to others to love your neighbor mm. yeah mm. No, it's, it's interesting, actually. I mean, I think one of the first videos I did was about the religion of lockdown and climate change, mm. because I, I absolutely think that what's happening with COVID is like a cult. I also think that COVID is one, it's probably the biggest thing, but is not the only thing which is cult-like at the moment. A climate change is another, mm. I would say. Mm. I would agree with you. It's fascinating to me to see the parallels between what's happened with COVID. And I think, because as someone who came into this, I was broadly, I mean, I, I, I don't know, I've, I think my opinion on climate change has sort of changed over time as well, and it was happening before COVID. But um, you can see the same things in action. You know, you're, oh no, he's a climate change denier. Yes, um, exactly. You know, he doesn't believe the science. And it's the again, you know, <laughs> yes. when it comes to science. Mm. You could say, I think in a similar fashion, it's about woke as well. Mm. You know, the woke explosion you've got your heretic hunters you know you have to be pure enough it's not enough to be against racism you have to be an anti-racist you have to use the correct phrases you have to you know i think our society is deeply religious but without actually having a god in a you know a, an explicit sense mm -hmm. it's interesting because somebody wrote uh, an article about that recently something like the unholy trinity uh, and it did mention wokeness COVID and climate. Yeah. All is being very much related to each other in this, this sort of conceptual way that you just mentioned, this cult-like way. It's fascinating, actually, how those things often go together. So I think COVID, it's been the biggest of the three. Um, but it is interesting if you look at people online, on social media or in politics or in the media, a kind of particular political persuasion tends to go for those three things. Obviously, they don't always go together. So there are a lot of people in our church who would be concerned about COVID, you know, want everyone to have the vaccine and so on, but they're not into critical race theory or those other things. Mm. But certainly there does seem to be something which links those together, certainly in the people at the top, if you like, who are yes. broadcasting, putting out this kind of opinion. Mm. Mm. And I guess it's, I mean, from a Christian perspective, this is what one would expect, I think. In, a, in, the, in the Bible, in the book of Jeremiah, 
Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament talking to the people of Israel, the people of God, who had turned away from God. And he said, you've turned away from me and you've turned to your own cisterns, cracked and dry, which can hold no water. But the idea is they've substituted one God for another. Mm. They've substituted the true God for a false God. And this idea of substitution is one which comes up several times in the Bible, notably there and in Romans chapter one. Yes. um, Talking about people suppressing the truth. So I think, you know, as a Christian, I'm not surprised when we see substitute religions coming up, because to my mind, that's exactly what we should be expecting. You know, that these substitute religions popping up all over the place. And because we are such a secular society now, people don't conceive of this as being a religious thing, do they? They just think, well, this is happening. And, And so the religious dimension of this is not something that flags up to them as something of concern. They just get absorbed into it. Yeah, and it, it can be exploited. Yes, it's fascinating that obviously I would say, you know, people being made in the image of God have this kind of spiritual instinct mm. um, to worship. Mm. But of course, because as you say, we live in a very secular age, people don't recognize that. So that we've got all these desires to worship, to have this kind of religious aspect to life. Um, and yet, you know, because we don't believe in God, it has to go somewhere. And, um, you know, because people do are not used to having that language, that vocabulary of worship, they don't recognise that what's happening inside them is actually a substitute religion. Mm. And it's interesting that a lot of people, uh, not the elite, I'm thinking, just, yeah, you yeah. know, regular people, tend not to be aware of this dimension. Mm. Whereas I would say there are people who are part of various elites who are very much aware of this. Um, and I'm thinking of Julian Huxley writing back, oh, you know, the middle of the 20th century, actually advocating for basically a secular form of religion to be used in order to unify all people. That would be social engineering, of course, but, you know, a new, a new religion to, an evolutionary kind of religion to join everybody together. So that as a controlling factor is in some people's minds in elite circles. There's no doubt about that, mm. which will bring us on to the possibility of the conspiratorial dimension in a few moments. Yeah. Okay, so with all the concerns that we've been expressing throughout this conversation mm. and the conversation we had before, that very much fits with what you said in one of your videos that people have contacted you mm. when you've been expressing your concerns on your YouTube channel uh, saying, look, is this is this the end? Are we fast approaching mm. the end? Are the passes, COVID passes, are they related to the mark of the beast in Revelation? People have these concerns and, um, you know, justifiably so. You, you read mm. what's in the book of Revelation and you think mm. some of that does seem to map onto some of the things that are happening in the world now. Mm. So what I want to ask you is, do these things show us that the end is nigh, to use that wonderful phrase that used to be on sandwich mm. boards all over the place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that it's a fascinating question. I mean... Since August, I've been working my way through the book of Revelation Mm. on YouTube. It's been a fascinating journey. I wouldn't say that this is, in inverted commas, the end. Mm. But what I think Revelation does is it talks about the pattern of things that are going to be coming, Mm. which look like the end. So I think there is going to be repeating patterns throughout history, which kind of come up until perhaps there is this eventual revealing of the um, the Antichrist or whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, I, I do feel like there are so many parallels between what's happening now and what's happening in Revelation. Um, so it talks about there's a beast, which is kind of like this anti-Christian evil sort of um, spirit. And I don't mean a spirit in like a ghost or an individual spirit, but a pattern of thought, a system, mm. which mm. is evil, which is against Christ. And that beast has a kind of local expression 
of a kind of particular empire, a particular point in, in history. And that beast kind of has this religion. Um, and that was what I found fascinating, given what we were just talking about, you know, that there is a sort of religious aspect to the beast mm. and it causes it for people to worship the beast. And, um, you know, how the beast is presented as kind of the answer to God. Mm. So, you know, we were talking about the substitution of God in a secular age. You know, I think that actually it's this kind of beast-like religion, which is what's happening, that there's this sort of um, religion which is springing up a cult, if you will, to draw people away from the true worship of God towards these other things. Mm. Um, and this is kind of demonic, satanic in nature, the beast and its... Um, uh, yeah what's what's happening behind mm. um yeah the thing which is different now mm. which i think is maybe a sign that we are closer to the end than we were before is the global nature of this mm. i've been really struck by that that this is about the kings of the earth opposing you know coming together to oppose god to oppose christ and to put their own agenda rather than god's forward and it has struck me that we are living in a day when communication and technology allows this kind of unprecedented global entity to take shape yes and like the chinese communist party the way that the governments of the world are virtually copying what's happening in china and this this seems to be happening the world over how almost every country locked down it seems to be taking over the whole world and that is something new you know it wouldn't have been the case in previous days so are we living in the end? I don't know. I, I just think what we are living in at the moment is maybe closer than we've ever experienced before. Whether it is the end, my own gut instinct is that we've still got more to come. Um, but I, I can't say why. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of pattern here or type is very important, actually. Yeah. I remember hearing D.A. Carson, Don Carson, give mm. a sermon. Actually, he was talking about the Antichrist, the concept of the Antichrist, and mm. he was putting forward a, a typological interpretation of that. And he was saying that, you know, we have types of Christ in the Bible. We have Adam, Moses, Isaac, David. They're not Christ, but there's some aspect of each one that foreshadows the coming of Christ. Yeah. And he was arguing that, well, you know, in a sense, we have types of Antichrist as well. You know, I'm sure that in Hitler's day, many people thought he was the Antichrist, and justifiably mm. so, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the same with Stalin and others. Um, but of course, they weren't. But in a way, they were, he was arguing, a type of the one to come, the Antichrist to come. Um, but of course, that does entail that there is one to come, mm. this Antichrist, um, in a similar way that the types of Christ prefigured Christ. And so, mm. you know, I, I want to say that because, you know, I have heard people say things like, you know, if you take the COVID vaccines, you know, you're this is the mark of the beast. Or if you use a COVID passport, you know, this is the mark of the beast. And I think, well, now just hold on a second, because that would mean that... All Christians now who have been COVID vaccinated, etc., they're, they're going to be excluded from the kingdom because it's very clear in the book of Revelation, if you take the mark of the beast, you're excluded from the kingdom. That doesn't seem to make sense. There doesn't seem to me to be a sufficient act of buying into a system there mm. or, or even buying into a system at all in terms of one's allegiance, you know? That doesn't seem to fit at all. Mm. But maybe there is something of the pattern there that we should be alerted to. But that's all I'm seeing in it. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's. I mean, <laughs> Revelation is a is a complicated and difficult book. Mm. What what comes across very clearly is the the way that God is at work in history, the way that the beast works, but specifically how that relates to what we're going through is not spelt out in great detail. Mm. Um, I believe that 
you know, the vaccine passports, for example, I did this video about vaccine passports, which was saying that I think vaccine passports could be a mark of the beast. And I think what I meant by that is very much like what you were just saying, that it is a kind of a pattern of that. Mm. Uh, my mind has often gone back to 1984 over the last few months, mm. um, a book I only read actually last year, to my shame. You know, this this control, you know, two plus two equals five. You know, the moment when Winston and um, his uh, the, the mm. one who's interrog- interrogating him. Um, yes, O'Brien. Oh, that, yes, uh, yes. Mm. Um, when he acknowledged that two plus two equals five, he knew he had the victory. He'd broken his spirit yes. and that they, the party, had mm. won. Mm. And it's the same, I think, with lockdowns and so on. It's just, do you accept mm. this political system? You know, it's about breaking people rather than actually... And, and encouraging them to be under the thumb of this oppressive, you know, regime. And whether that is, as you say, it's just a type of what is to come. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a good way of looking at it. Yeah. But certainly it, they are behaving in a way which is consonant with that. Yes. And that to buy into it, whether it is the, inverted commas, mark of mm. the beast mm. or just a pattern of the mark of the beast, I think is, is largely immaterial, really, because... Um, it is about you know who you buy into at the end of the day, and sadly, I think there are the fact that some churches have been all about the restrictions and all about the masks and social distancing and everything, rather than being all about Jesus, is somewhat worrying. Yeah, the only thing I would say to anybody who who let us say has used a, you know a COVID pass, just use that example, uh, or is going to use if you are concerned that in using that covid pass you have taken the mark of the beast i think that's a sign that you haven't because if you're concerned about it and it's clear that your allegiance is still to christ but you know i think as you say there's a possibility of a pattern here and there's the possibility that this is the beginnings of the event do you know what i mean this could be leading towards this instantiation of the mark of the beast at X number of years down the line. And so we, we, we must be aware of this as a possibility. Mm. Although I'm absolutely clear that I wouldn't wish anybody to think that at this stage of the game, you know, they are suddenly beyond redemption. I, don't, I really don't see that. Oh, yes. I really don't see that at this stage in history. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Mm. And I would just like to, yes, very much like to say, you know, that... Um, there's a verse in, in Hebrews which says, you know, as long as it is still called today, you know, let us hear. There's still time to hear the voice of, of Christ. And um, so I think the mark of the beast is seen from the end, from the perspective looking back at the whole of history. Yes. You can see yes. who has taken the mark of the beast and who hasn't. It's not for now. No. We can see no. what it might look like. Mm. But if you've taken the vaccine or the Vox vaccine passport, if you know, that's not the mark of the beast. Mm. Okay, so I wanted to ask you the question of who's behind all this. Uh, We have Mm. noted the possibility of conspiracy a number of times in the conversation. Um, You asked that in one of your videos explicitly, who's behind all this? And I want to ask you this because your perspective on this, I think, is a little different from a lot of people who talk about this subject, in that you talk more about the spiritual aspect of this. You do acknowledge that many people, myself included, are of the opinion that this whole so-called pandemic has, mm. and I'm going to be very careful what I say here, actually, yeah. that this whole pandemic, so-called pandemic, has multiple driving factors prolonging it and exploiting it, no doubt in terms of bureaucratic incompetence, but also corporate greed, globalist political vision and ambition, etc., etc. 
you even mentioned some of the names that often come up in discussions mm. on this kind of subject. You know, World Economic Forum, so-called Great Reset Crowd, uh, the ubiquitous Bill Gates yeah, <laughs> pops yeah. up all the time. You know, the World Health Organization, all these sorts of things. But you choose not to dwell on any of that. You don't dismiss all that, but mm. rather you point to this spiritual aspect, the spiritual actor behind what's going on. Yeah. Why do you do that, and what are you trying to say with that? Uh, let me just read you one verse in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what I believe the picture from the Bible is of what's going on in a global perspective, if you like, at every point in history is this spiritual battle that behind every human battle, all the evil that we see from a human perspective, there is something spiritual and demonic and satanic. Mm. Um, I was actually saying this to someone on Twitter uh, yesterday who was saying that they've been an atheist since the age of 12. And yet, you know, they were thinking and they retweeted an article um, from a Christian friend of theirs. And I said, you know, I think the presence of evil has been making a lot of people question. And as you say, um, you know, we've been questioning about conspiracy theories, questioning about is it Bill Gates, is it Klaus Schwab or the World Economic Forum? Who's really standing behind it? And I think the Christian perspective has always been that there is a evil is not just a word. Evil is a power, is a force. And it always tries to assert itself. And that is what we as Christians believe is Satan. Mm. There is this kind of spiritual force of evil going on. Mm. And that over the last few months, I think we have seen this kind of spiritual force be more in the ascendancy. Mm. And I think a lot of people have been encountering evil for maybe for the first time, really, properly. Certainly this kind of evil in the world, mm. which cannot be explained by any other means. And have been left wondering, what on earth do we make of that? How do we, how do we understand? How do we explain mm. this evil? And yeah, the, the Christian answer has always been there is human evil, for sure. But behind that stands this power of evil, which is Satan, who is standing against God and against his Christ. Not that Satan is the cause of all of the evil in the world. I mean, I, it, it doesn't absolve us of our responsibilities, is what I'm saying. But that if you feel like there is a power of evil in the world, then that's quite right. Mm. Someone put it to me actually in a comment the other day saying, thank you for confirming my instincts that I'm right to smell the smell of sulfur about this. You know, that this smells satanic because it, because it is. Mm. I find that little passage there from Ephesians, Ephesians 6.12, let me just read it again. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against mm. the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I find that very interesting because um, there are different views on that. Some people say that we have there a picture both of spiritual wickedness, okay, Satan would be the arch character in that, but also that it involves perhaps the rulers of this world as well. Mm. But then there are others who would say, no, that's all talking about the spiritual realm. I mean, even uh, James Dunn in his book, The Theology of Paul the Apostle, goes for that, says that really, there's just different ways that synonyms talking about the same thing. Mm. However, I, you know, I was thinking about this and I, I can't help feeling that there is some connection there. You know, did in Paul's day, did he have the you know, there was no study of sociology, was there, you know? Um, there was no structuralist interpretation of the institutions of society, you know? Mm. Um, so I just wondered whether in some of that language, 
there's a, an inclusion of the notion of yeah. these sort of w- wicked structures and wicked dynamics that we see playing in society um, that is bound up with the spiritual. I just wonder whether some of that language includes that. Mm. Do you see what I mean by that? Yeah, I, I think what, one of the interesting things as I've been um, going through Revelation is seeing the way that the beast, which is, you could say, this satanic, anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christian system expresses itself and is made manifest in specific places and times Mm. and how the beast kind of stands behind what's happening Mm. Um, so there is this connection between the beast and the well um, they could sort of talk about babylon or the adulterous woman or whatever you know full of imagery Mm. but um yeah i think that that's right that what appears to us maybe to be a conspiracy is actually just a coincidence a confluence of one actor working in multiple ways behind human groups or organizations governments even i mean i I suppose that if you think about what evil is you know the the christian Mm. traditional ways of talking about evil you know the big three money sex and power is what people want and of course power has been very much what's going on with governments and so on and it's no surprise that that's what they want and that different groups can come out wanting power because we know that that is what the temptation is. You know, in a sense, I suppose you could say, well, regardless of who exactly is behind it and what the combination is of the satanic, the demonic, human, you know, that they they want the same kind of things. Mm. It's a very difficult thing to talk about when one mentions the term conspiracy because I think in a lot of people's minds, certainly people who are criticising those who dare to think that way, mm. is the notion of a single conspiracy, you know, with a load of people in a smoke-filled room and all that, yeah. who are determining everything that happens. It's that sort of conspiracy view of history. Yeah, and yeah. certainly I think that is that is false. Yeah. When we're looking at something like this happening, you know, this is such a, a huge phenomenon that is happening. Clearly there are conspiracies happening. I mean, mm. you know, in a corporate boardroom where they're choosing to do something in secret necessarily because, you know, mm. they're not going to share their, their business model, are they? And if yeah, they yeah. do something, therefore, that is illegal or immoral, and good heavens, corporations have done plenty of things that are both <laughs> immoral course, yeah. and, and mm. illegal... Is that not a conspiracy? Well, of course it is. So there are all kinds of conspiracies going on. Many of them will will intersect, you know, similar kinds of um, goals, and there'll be lots of cock-ups. And, but, you know, you know what I mean? That is not to say that there might be something at the core of this, which is driving a lot of this, mm. but there's no way in which I think that all of it can be explained by a single set of people working somewhere. Mm. So I agree with you. We shouldn't think in that simplistic way. Um, But nevertheless, I do think there is that conspiratorial element that is there. I conceive of that as being linked to what Paul says here in terms of, you know, rulers of the darkness of this world. Mm. What does he mean by the darkness of this world? I understand that, you know, the darkness of of this world as being the, the things that are happening here, the structures that are somehow empowered by this spiritual wickedness in high places. But I don't think he had terminology to describe that in any kind of sociological way. But I think the idea is somehow embedded in it. And, and you know, the word conspire does actually appear in the Bible. Hmm. It's in Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire? And I think it's in, in various of the Proverbs as well and so on. Hmm. Certainly the Bible does have this picture of conspiracy, hmm. which is the nations gathering together to conspire against God, basically, hmm. and to do wickedness. So I'm certainly not saying that conspiracy is not the case. 
I'm saying it's complicated. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm yes. saying that behind whatever human conspiracies, it may be a confluence of different conspiracies even. Yeah. Like the Great Reset certainly is real and so on. Yes. I mean, the other day I was looking at the number of sitting MPs who are involved in the World Economic Forum. Interestingly, including Justin Welby. Mm. I didn't realise that. Uh, he's on the World Economic Forum. Right. Right. So, you know, it's undeniable mm. that there is a conspiracy, however you want to call it, there is a conspiracy element to this. But I think behind that, there is something evil. And it's that something evil which I'm talking about. And that's why so many of these conspiracy theories seem to come together Hmm. to to kind of have the same sort of aims. Um, Because they're not, you know, conspiracies which are trying to achieve very different things. No one ever conspires in order to help orphans, (laughs) you know, or to help children. You know, conspiracies have one goal, which is the advancement of money, sex or power for those involved. And that's where the evil comes in. And crucially, in that passage, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. That is so important to Mm. remember, isn't it? Because if we are just thinking this is an earthly struggle, then I think we're in trouble because we're going to be looking for solutions that are not in accordance with God's will and we're therefore Mm. going to be disempowered. You know, how we expect the Holy Spirit to be with us and help us in our battle if we're just ignoring him Mm. um, makes no sense to me. So this is fundamentally not a flesh and blood battle. Um, So you, along those lines, talk about, I suppose, a solution for people who believe in Christ is to have Christ as the solution, not the church in the institutional sense, but Christ himself. Now, okay, that makes sense to me, but, and I'm sure it does to most TMR listeners, but there are some listeners who may think that sounds otherworldly, maybe helpful for individuals if they believe, but, you know, how how is it generally helpful? How is it going to make a real impact in the world? Um, Well, let me, again, let me read a few verses from another book of the Bible, also written by Paul, Colossians, Mm. which is often seen as the sort of counterpart. It covers similar ground to to the book of Ephesians, which we quoted just now. So this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. In our children's holiday club we did back at the start of the summer holidays, we did a a holiday club based on the Narnia, actually on the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. And I think that verse, making a public spectacle of the powers and authorities, I think comes across really powerfully in that story. As you you may know, your listeners may, I'm sure, know that uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, is sort of like an allegory of Jesus and of what Jesus Mm. did in in the gospel. Mm. And, you know, you think about what happened to Aslan. You know, the, the witch killed him on the stone table and the powers thought that they had their victory. But actually, Aslan came back and... You know, they looked very silly. Um, but that is, I think, very much like what Jesus does. You know, that it's actually the power of Satan is the power of sin. And that is what was on Jesus at the cross, I believe, as a substitute in our place. Mm. Um, mm. 
See, I don't know what happens in the book because I've not read it, mm. but in the film, there's a wonderful moment where Aslan comes back and bites her head off. Yeah, yes, it's it's, it's, it's tremendous. <laughs> I always love that bit. Yeah, it's not the meek and wild Jesus, is it? When it comes no. to the point of judgment, it's wonderful. Yes. No, I think the film actually makes this point very well. But yes, it, the power of Satan is the power of sin. Not just that evil is out there in the world, but it's in our hearts as well. Mm. We talk about original antigenic sin, <laughs> um, but actually this idea of original sin being in our own hearts, it's corrupted each one of us. And as it says, as Paul says there, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, you know, that has been nailed to the cross, those who are in Christ. Mm. And it's actually as we are forgiven through Christ that we can be transformed and we, you know, we can break that cycle. You know, we don't have to be people who are in hock to the powers and authorities anymore, but we can be, as it talks about, not slaves to wickedness, but slaves of righteousness. You know, live lives more in accordance with how God wants us to live, lives of love, lives of righteousness. And actually, I mean, the thing which I find about the Christian message, which gives me most hope, is just that, you know, one person who turns to Christ and one person who seeks to do God's will, who says, thy will be done, can make a huge difference. I mean, it can change the world. And that's often how God works, you know, through the one person, through yeah. what look like small, insignificant individuals. And yet, you know, yes. offering ourselves to God, that can make all the difference. It's something I need to keep reminding myself of, because yes. yes. otherwise it's, you just get depressed. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah well, indeed. I, I, I wake up most mornings thinking, yeah. I feel a little depressed. Oh, it's not about the virus. It's about oh. all the reaction to the virus. That's yes. All the authoritarianism. That's what's worrying me now. Not the virus itself. Mm. Forget that. Absolutely. You have this phrase, small actions to overturn a civilization. Mm. And I've noted that down because that really stuck with me. Mm. What am I capable of, you know? What are most people capable of? Really small actions. But yeah, yeah. as you say, that can overturn things. And I think of, you know, when I very simply go down on a Sunday morning, I'm choosing at the mm. moment not to go to church, but to go to a stand in the park. We had a program about mm. that where people are standing for what they believe in, which is, you know, freedom, human dignity, and just making a stand under mm. the circumstances and talking to people. And I've had amazing conversations with people. I've talked to people about my faith in Christ mm. more there than I have done perhaps in any other place. Um, so I'm happy to do that yeah. at the moment. Um, but that's a very small thing. Yeah. But I've noticed already just by making that very small change for one hour, <laughs> you know, in the week in my mm. life, um, mm. that God has already begun to do things with that. So if each of us do these small actions, yeah, maybe, maybe indeed we can, as you put it, overturn a civilization. I think I think that, I was reading um some time ago there was um I can't remember which book this was in but it was talking about the fall of the Berlin Wall mm. and was saying how that started with a small gathering a vigil in Leipzig mm. and it just grew and you think uh, at a small acorn's mighty oaks grow and I think very much that is the case you know one person commits to doing what is righteous and right and that is unbelievably powerful mm. in the hands of a, a righteous god um, you know, think of Noah <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, the, the Moses and Abraham, you know, all yes. men who stood alone Absolutely. for much of the Bible and yet look at their impact. And indeed against impossible odds. Mm. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Even being asked, oh yes, now you go and sacrifice your son who is the vehicle of the promise of God. Mm. What? What? How does any of this make sense? Fun yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. It was Abraham, of course, and Isaac. Um, yes. 
Yeah, and you say that we're also um, guilty very often of the sin of pessimism. Yeah. Really, fundamentally, we do not have a reason to be pessimistic. You bring out, I think it's Revelation 4, you, you talk about that a lot, about the tremendous glory of God that's presented there. And this is the one in whom mm. we believe. Um, we have no fundamental grounds for pessimism, do we? And if we keep that in mind, then maybe we can actually get out of bed in the morning and do those little things and together mm. change the world. Joining hands with people, of course, who don't believe, but also in their own way are making small steps mm. to change the world. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, when the lockdown first started, you know, we we're all talking about, oh, maybe this will bring us together. Maybe this will, you know, and it lasted a few short months. And then at the end of the first lockdown, the second lockdown, the third, especially, it was all very divisive. Yes, But yes. I think there has been a real, I'm in a, a group of clergy, you know, the, um, you do the irreverent podcast yes and uh there's a group of clergy who are kind of in a, that kind of orbit as it were mm. um, and we're all from different traditions in the church you know i think it's lovely how actually it's brought us together in a way that probably wouldn't have been the case prior to 2020 you know so yeah um the battle against pessimism is a battle that i must constantly i'm i face constantly mm. day by day just to remind myself that this is not beyond God. And actually, just this morning, I was preaching on Daniel chapter 4, the end of Daniel chapter 4, which is the famous passage when Nebuchadnezzar goes mad. And at the end of that passage, he says, you know, God, uh, those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. And I just thought, well, you know, it's God's job to run the, you know, the universe. If he can change things with Nebuchadnezzar, he can do the same here. It's just our job to carry on being faithful and uh, working in the small ways that we can whatever that may be. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm tempted, of course, to read Revelation 4, but I, no, I won't. It's quite long, isn't it? Yeah, the whole <laughs> episode. Episode. Wonderful, wonderful imagery there. Yeah. Heaven with all these uh, beings. And you're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for mm. you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. It's just amazing, amazing yeah. words there. Very, very inspiring indeed. Mm. Thank you ever so much. Phil, for coming on for a second time to talk about these things. I think we've probably been even more controversial than we were the first time. Yeah. Um, well, but, you know, why not? That's that, We should have free expression, freedom of thought well, about, about these things. It's great to speak absolutely. to you again. Yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and thank you very much for, for having me. And um, I enjoyed the conversation. And, um, yeah, I hope that it's been helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, I think the freedom to express ideas, mm-hmm. I've come to realise that's one of the most precious freedoms that we have. Mm-hmm. And I've learned a lot through engaging over this last few months and i've not you know i've, I've changed my ideas i've as i've mm. engaged with people it's been really helpful for me mm. so i hope that it's been helpful for your listeners too mm. yeah let's let's keep the conversation going absolutely so just to end with draw attention to understand the bible understand the bible.uk and on youtube it's now sacred musings yeah uh, not phil sake making sense of the, the world from a christian perspective although yes. you still are making sense of the world from a christian perspective it's uh, still the same strap line <laughs> yeah. right yeah. okay sacred Musings, okay, and it's not actually a string of random letters, is it? It's youtube.com forward slash c forward slash sacred musings. That makes a change, it's often just c u p w x x 25 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, how did you manage to do that? Uh, well, um, that's a, well, yeah, there well, we go. <laughs> rhetorical question. Thank you ever so much yeah. for coming on again. I do look forward to speaking to you again at some point in the future. Thank you very much, and anytime. Show notes for this program can be found at The Mind Renewed, themindrenewed.com. Podcast music by Anthony Rajakoff, attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles, and my guest, the Reverend Phil Saker. And I very much look forward to speak to you again in the very near future.